I guess informal introduction. Hello, everybody. Shane Douglas Keene, Laurel Hightower, Rich Duncan, and we are here with two of our favorite guests, John F.D. Taff and Matthew Corley. Is there an initial in the Corley there somewhere? That tr- there isn't, right? There is. I mean, you can put it in there. I mean, it's a D. Mm-hmm. Well, if I don't Matthew have D. to. Corley. <laughs> I think it's probably in my Twitter handle, actually. I'm pretty basic. I think it is. Yeah. It is. It is, yeah. <laughs> I'm not creative with any of my handles. So I just use my name. Yeah. Well, that's I'm Shane D. Keen. Like, you know, everybody else is like floating butterfly. I'm Pippinaceous. And... <laughs> Shane. <laughs> Well, I use my whole name, except nobody knows what the FD stands for. <laughs> no, but my theories are awesome, man. I just keep them to myself and have them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fucking dickhead. <laughs> I would have gone with Franklin Delano. Yeah. <laughs> my mother looked down on me when I was a little baby and said, Fucking dickhead. <laughs> and she was right. So right. <laughs> I'm not telling. Yeah, my mom only ever spoke my full name when she was pissed at me about that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's like a common uh, mom oh, yeah, thing. Yeah. <laughs> but my full name when she was really pissed was Shane Douglas motherfucking Keen. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, wow, I didn't know I had that name too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like Esquire, it's like adding Esquire. Yeah. <laughs> motherfucker, Shane the Douglas motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, the honorable motherfucker. <laughs> oh, change your Twitter handle next. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> this must happen. We just found it. Ah, <laughs> uh, so. So what are we talking uh, about? Yeah, I was just gonna Let's say um talk about that. Yeah, that we're excited to have you guys here to talk about um your guys' collaboration on a new book in the Fearing Universe, Blood and Brimstone. And I was just kinda of, I was curious because and this I think it's just because we've talked so often, but I thought we already <laughs> asked. Well, Is that a left-handed wife there? <laughs> no, 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 it's a compliment. We talk so fucking much. <laughs> yeah. I'm taking an eye roll there. No, no eye roll. But I was just, I, I thought we'd already talked to uh, you and Matt kind of about how you guys, um, you know, got together and decided to do this, uh, the RPG and the novella. But then I realized, um, we didn't. So yeah. I was just curious if you guys could kind of touch on, you know, how Blood and Brimstone came to be. Well, let Matt start, because really it, the the impetus for the idea started with Matt approaching me. So take it away, Matt. Yeah. So I think it was October of last year. So it was right before I did the mm-hmm. exact same thing with Sarah. Um, I think I get Sarah was like four weeks later, I think, because I don't know. I just I had a hair up my butt to reach out to random <laughs> folks and try to write stuff. Um, but yeah, no, it was October and I had been, let me think, when was October? So was that the second fearing book was about then maybe? Third? Uh, the third one I think was coming out. Yeah. Right. So I had read the first couple of fearing books and, you know, I, I'm sure everybody on this phone probably did the same thing I did, which was, you know, we read them basically in one setting in one night. Actually, mm-hmm. I think I downloaded it and then it, 
seven or eight o'clock, I finally grabbed my iPad to read and went to bed when it was finished. And it really struck me um, from a couple different ways. The characters in it are really, really, really interesting and well done, um, which, you know, I think that's that's kind of a given. But the other thing for me is I thought I really liked the storyline and the background. And I was trying to figure this word out like a week or three ago when I was talking to John and I couldn't. And it just I was just having a meltdown, I guess. But <laughs> the, the metaphysics of the fearing. Mm-hmm. It's mm. so very, very interesting to me. Um, and I actually think it's one of those things that could really lend itself well to like a game or even a movie yeah. or a ser- obviously already a series or anything like that. You know, because we look at a movie or a game or a book or a book, I guess, and we see the story. So the easy answer some folks think is, well, we'll just play the characters. Well, you don't want to play the characters. They've already done their work. I mean, mm-hmm. They've already done their story. You know their story. Mm-hmm. So John's book, the the metaphysics of the fearing, honestly, is just so incredibly interesting to me, and that's why I reached out. You know, I think I was relatively new to Twitter even at the time, probably, and I don't know. We probably had a handful of Twitter things because I said how much I enjoyed the book or something like that, um, and I texted him, and he emailed me back within like pretty damn quick, actually, much quicker than I thought. <laughs> Well, it was such an interesting. I hadn't, you know, I, uh, you know, I played Dungeons and Dragons, but it's been a long, you know, forty years practically. Um, and so when when Matt said, you know, I've got this idea for possibly a role playing game for this, I was really intrigued. And you know, up to that point, I had not really thought about doing anything more in the fearing story. I mean, I'd written it. It was done. I mean, it seemed to be as done as done could be. Um, and, uh, you know, he got me thinking all of a sudden about, well, if I did, because we, we had talked about at one point we had talked about early on, it was like, well, you know, would you be interested in writing something for this? Like maybe writing a novella sort of in the same vein that, uh, that Matt and Sarah Tanlicher did. For uh, the Devil in the Windy City, um, and I thought about it. And I was like, "Well, that's intriguing. If I did that, then I, you know, what would I do? Well, <laughs> you know, if you've read The Fearing, I don't know. It's a com- if you haven't read The Fearing, I don't know that it's a complete spoiler to tell you. Pretty much everything ends, um, and there's not a whole lot left at the end. So I had to think about, you know, so if we. If we did this, and if I did write something, what I would write about. So it was interesting in that it got me thinking in a way that I hadn't really thought about the fearing at that point, which was doing something else in that uh, in that milieu. So, uh, yeah, I was intrigued. Uh, you know, he he hit me at a soft spot. It was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I kind of had the same thing in that, you know, there's so many different crazy things that happened throughout, you know, the whole original Fearing series and also Blood and Brimstone that just lend itself kind of like Matt said, where you don't even need to, you know, be the characters, Mm -hmm. but like all the different fears that show up, it lends itself perfect to this game. Um, Kind of like you said, you played Dungeons and Dragons, like that kind of made me think of that. I haven't played it, but I'm aware of it but i also find it interesting it's kind of like when we talked to josh and he talked about um 
you know, kind of when they did Bird Box, the movie, how it kind of, you know, inspired him a little bit to revisit that universe with Mallory. Mm-hmm. And I find it, it's kind of cool that kind of the same thing happened to you with this yeah, book. In a, in a similar and much less paying way. <laughs> no 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 we're totally gonna make that much money <laughs> from your mouth to god's ear man yep. uh yeah i mean i think sometimes you you as a writer you finish something and you're like there done it told that story let's move on and i had pretty much felt that way with the fearing i mean it was as you know from talking to with me about this book seemingly endlessly um <laughs> It took me a long time to write this book. So when I was done with it, I was like, hallelujah, we're done. Let's move on to something else now. And that would have been fine. If if I had just moved on and never gone back into this world, that would have been great. Um, but like I said, Matt hit me at a hit me in a spot where it got me thinking about it. And I, once you start thinking about it, you're screwed. You know, and then you're like, you know, well, I don't want to do this because, you know, I I say I was thinking, well, what do you do? Well, I don't want to go. I want I don't want to tell a story that that's set after what I wrote, because I'm already I was already starting to think about possibly doing that anyway. But that's a big that's a big ball of yarn. Um, So I don't want to do that. So, you know, you you start thinking in your mind, well, maybe I can do this. No, that won't work. No, that won't work. No, oh, that might work. And then you're hooked. You know, once I started to think, oh, you know, I could I could really tell the story of Tam and Jacoby because that was really we just kind of jumped in with them. Um, It might be interesting to see where he comes from. So once I started to think about that, then it was like, okay, yeah, I can do that. I can I can do this. Right. And like, so for me with it, it's, it's kind of funny that John says that, because at least with some of the things that I work on with when people, you know, publishers grab me to write a game or do whatever, it's like, you know, I don't even know what I want to do until you ask me the question. <laughs> and all of a sudden somebody asked me the question, I'm like, well, shit, why didn't I think of that? And it's like that, that just asking me the question helps. And then with John and I, as we were reading it, especially when I finished the fourth book, that's when I really started thinking about it again and pulling it back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, because like you said, I mean, we talked about it back and forth. And I mean, at one point I was like, well, we could we could even have a game where there's like 50 people left on the world. And mm-hmm. we're not going to probably do that, but I guess we could make a way to do it. But, you know, it really to me, I, again, love the pervasiveness of the fearing and the metaphysics of it and just the background kind of magic of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's so interesting. And, you know, in those weeks of that take place of you know fearings one through four i mean however long that is i'm guessing like it's probably a week or three something like it's not yeah, super long something like that no it's not super long um i mean honestly there's millions of stories because everybody right, has their right. own fearing story and every person every village hamlet town city country state the world i mean at all it, that's where it is it, it builds up so you've got these stories that can be so personal mm-hmm. um all the way up to global and yeah. uh, you know global is where we ended right with fearing four um and it right. started off super personal and that's where it really really got me hooked was how interesting the personal stories were um yeah um that was really what tied the whole thing together um and made it work so well i think as a as a serial novel mm-hmm. um 
a little little side story to that. Um, it's like been kind of a fearing sort of day because I got uh, ah. books one through four in the mail this morning. Ah. Um. So that was a pleasant surprise, and then <laughs> I knew we were going to be talking to you guys about this. And me being who I am, the first question that came to my mind is. How is it that a guy my age can find something new that he's terrified of dying from? <laughs> Which was what? Um, you know, the monster on the cover, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. When he turns around. Um, yeah, Francois Delacour. Uh, uh, Delacour, excuse me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did a great job with that. He, he plucked that right out of the text. Yeah, he uh, did. Yeah. No. So yeah. So to interrupt, your interrupt to interrupt the tangent of the tangent. Uh, So Francois really likes to read the first, the stories first. He doesn't want an art brief. He's so first. The other thing is, I love working with Francois. I will work with him any chance I get, as often as I can, and can afford it, and can find work for him. He's amazing, Mm -hmm. Um, talented, Mm -hmm. obviously, but he's very professional and just fantastic to work with. but he, he won't, I tried to give him an art brief the first time because that's what I've always done with my books. And like, mm-hmm. here's four sentences. He didn't want it. He wanted the book. I'm like, oh, um, well, <laughs> here you go. And give him this section or whatever. And then he brings it out. And oh, my God, he does just that's his his illustration is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Couldn't be happier. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I'm I'm glad i didn't really take a close look at the cover until after i actually read the book and then i looked at it and it's like wow it's just like that guy saw exactly the same thing i saw (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) which speaks to uh which speaks to taft's descriptive prowess much as i hate to tell him that (laughs) (laughs) no but you know francois got it i mean down to the knives and it's yeah yeah that was i i was impressed i was like man he really did read this I don't think we even got two pictures from him. No, I think that was it. I only got one. Yeah, usually he sends me like four. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, what do you like? I mean, that was like, he sent me that like three quarters of the way done. And I'm like, yep, you're pretty much done. Yep. And it's finished. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, the artwork in this book, I, um, I wanted to ask you guys about that because I thought that was such a cool component of you know this installment in the fear and kind of having those images you know at Mm -hmm. certain parts of the book and you know they're so great and i was you know i know you i think you worked with uh francois a couple times but you also had artwork from and i hope i pronounce his name right but i probably i'll probably mess it up but stefan codel is that how you pronounce his name uh or stefan coital maybe stefan coital i yeah i have no idea you could be 100 percent right, Rich. I have no idea. <laughs> Me, one of us is probably right. <laughs> but but yeah. yeah, he's awesome. I mean, that was another find that Matt had made. Um, and yeah, I'll let Matt tell you about that. That turned out really well. Yeah. So so Stefan's again somebody. I just kind of reached out to him, and his artwork. I mean, you you've seen it, and so he yeah. that style. He has that style. He does fantasy type stuff, but he almost always does horror. In some way, shape, or form, he's got some really cool, like kind of semi-sci-fi horror stuff too. Um, and I just saw it, and I reached out to him. And honestly, I mean, I can't afford new work for him very often, so we talked about <laughs> it though, 
John and I did first because John and I were looking through all of Stefan's portfolio, which if you have a chance, yeah, grab him on ArtStation or ArtDeviant or whatever that's on and look at his stuff. Um, and we found enough pieces that we really liked. And I reached out to Stefan and he's actually, so I have just like non-exclusive rights. And that's something I talked to other RPG folks about and any publisher like, you know what? I want to pay for original art anytime I can, like Stefan or like Francois' piece is original. Everything in the Devil City is original as well. Um, but Stefan had work that was very, very good, and he'd already made it, so I can actually kind of work on my budget. And as we all know, there's like you know, like you said, dozens of dollars to be made here. And so, <laughs> if if I can reuse an existing piece, I save myself a huge amount of money. Some some artists don't do it. It never hurts to ask, um, but Stefan was just an absolute pleasure to work with as far as that. And plus, it also cut down six months on production time because I picked them out. You know, it's almost, I mean, I basically went online and grabbed them. Um, and I think the best thing to me was when I handed them or when John and I picked them out was what John did next, which I will let John say. Well, I think that a lot of the stuff that, that we were able to get from Stefan um was general enough that it could, you know, it fit in the book without a whole lot of, you know, okay, well, there maybe, you know, it wasn't exactly that kind of car we were talking about, but it was pretty close. But there were a couple of them I looked at and I thought, you know, I've got a scene that's, I could weave something in, um, into that scene that I've already got that makes sense, that would kind of tie the artwork in a little bit better. And the example that I have is the, uh, the scene in the schoolyard um and you know that scene was already pretty much set but i thought well that free hugs piece of art (laughs) would fit perfectly and really you know it it took me adding in like a a paragraph or two um to what i'd already built in uh just to tie that in you know pretty pretty succinctly into the narrative so that worked and i did that a couple times there was a the um one of the pieces of art, really one of the, my favorite pieces of art was the, the shot of the, the two or three, you know, enormously tall creatures. Yes. Yeah. That's what um, I'm looking at right now. Yeah. And, you know, I, I looked at that and I thought, well, this has got to happen uh, now. So I actually added that whole thing in there uh, specifically because I saw that artwork and it just kind of moved me. Oh, that's wonderful. That's, I mean, that's a really cool element of it um, to let the art kind of feed that. Yeah, that's... I, I'd never done that before. I've never had artwork in a story of mine before. I, you know, I've, that's not true. I mean, uh, a couple of the books where I've had stories in uh, Morano's books, like Gutted and uh, 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 <laughs> Behold, excuse me. Um, John is having a stroke. Um, they they had he had uh, commissioned illustrations for those two, but this was kind of the the first kind of a big deal where I would have multiple illustrations in a in a book of mine, um, and I I thought that was a cool idea to to actually be influenced by the artwork that you that you're going to be putting in the book and let it sort of guide you know there wasn't any horrible like completely untoward you know well this illustration has a clown so I've got to have a whole scene with a clown in it, <laughs> um, but. You know that that stuff, like with the with those giant figures, that co- sort of flowed with what I was trying to do. So it feels um, very organic. Yeah, yeah exactly. I've, That's the word I was looking for. It was a very organic thing for me. 
I think so. that's the that's the fun and the challenge of working with pre-existing art, which I love doing art mm-hmm. direction and, and, and any books that I get to do, um, is that finding pieces that fit naturally. You know, yeah. it doesn't have to be, like you said, it doesn't always have to be necessarily straight out of the text. If right. that happens occasionally, that's awesome. But I mean, like if, but it, but you look at a lot of Stefan's pictures and you're like, okay, that's totally a fearing picture. Or you can look at something else and think, you know what, that's perfect for X or Y or Z or whatever. And that's, that's what it is. And that's, that's fun to me. I love sitting there and spending a day on art station or wherever looking for artists. And I mean, I tag, I give myself screenshots of every good artist I see on Twitter or Instagram and then come back to them at some point. Well, I, I liked Stefan's art so much when I saw it that I just thought, yeah, I want to have this in the book. So if if it's going to take me writing some, some additional scenes, that's perfectly cool. I mean, I was perfectly comfortable with that. Well, and I would want to know, you know, if I saw this uh, unattached to anything, I would need to know the story behind it, (laughs) you know? So it's like, I mean, that's just like, ultimately, you know, that I'm reading the description. I'm going like, Oh my God, what the hell? And then I turn the page. I'm like, what the hell? You know, so (laughs) it's I just his think stuff it, it is just really, really good. Well. His stuff it, is really, really good. Yeah, I'll be working with Stefan many, many, many more times. Mm-hmm. Uh, because especially when we actually do the RPG, which I'm going to change the name, Laurel, um, <laughs> so that I don't get it confused with dark erotica. Um, <laughs> I'm yeah, just going to make it Whispers RPG, I think. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, so I, I do. I love it. Stefan just I can't speak highly enough of him too. I mean, he was great to work with as well. Um, if you ever get a chance, anybody that's looking this up or listening to this, re uh, go ahead and uh, Google Stefan Coital, and then like last toilet roll. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> it, is, it is. I'm not I'm doing that. Man. I think you're setting picture. me up for something. I'm buying that picture. Rights to that picture because that's going in one. And then uh, <laughs> there's another one in an insane asylum where there's a woman in a in the ceilings corner. Yes, I remember that one. And it says, like, hell was better, or I liked hell more, or something right. like that. That's so good. That's going in there somewhere, too. I don't know. Yeah. I'll just, I'll write it. I'll, I'll find room. Yeah, um, I think we first heard about Stefan's work from uh, Todd Keesling when we were talking wow. to him about uh, Devil's Creek. But, mm-hmm. yeah, that free hugs picture that was in there, that, <laughs> that it was terrifying. <laughs> Especially, like, when you... Yeah, especially when you read that scene and you see that image. Mm-hmm. I yeah. almost wish there had been an illustration. I almost wish we could have had Stefan do a particular image from that scene because that was a pretty... I just we let it go. We could probably do that. it as a stretch goal, maybe. Yeah, there you go. Although we've already kind of printed the books. <laughs> so well, there's that. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We could always do a... We'll figure something out. Yeah, because I, I do want more from Stefan. He's yeah, so definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was really really impressed with his artwork. Um, cover to cover, everything he did is is stellar. It is, and it feels it just feels very well paired with your writing, John. Exactly. Well, thank you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I I liked his style particularly, and again, once Matt showed me, I'm like. Yeah, we gotta we gotta get that. I don't know how you're gonna do that because he looks because he looks really expensive. But but have fun. Uh, yeah, let but, me know how that works that out for you. <laughs> but Matt got it, so yeah, I was very very pleased with it. And you know, the book is 
is just fantastic. The book, what Matt has done with the book has, has been very, very uplifting for me. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say that uh to you, Matt, like um, you know, the book it it looks great and like I kinda I mean, maybe nobody else but me like cares about this kind of stuff, but <laughs> I I thought the uh I thought like the way you put it together and kind of like the way the pages were and like, cause they're almost kind of like glossy, like, like that even made, you know, the book as a whole and the artwork, you know, really stand out. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So that's our discussion too. John and I were trying to decide if we wanted to keep gloss or go to satin for paper. Hmm. That's I tough. thought you were talking about sheets. I'm going to. <laughs> so John's all about the silk sheets, I'm sure. <laughs> um, no, you know the gloss. It, it stays yeah. too easy. <laughs> but but thank you. I appreciate that, Rich. And so I mean, so I used um Lori Michelle helped with and actually Lori Michelle did the layout. Um yeah, and she helped with right, editing. Actually. And Lori was the one who kind of thought of the little crosshair um, Which is excellent. Markers. I love that. Lori, Lori's fantastic too. I mean, I, that's one thing. It's like I've worked with a lot of folks um, on the RPG side, and now more folks on the horror side as well, and just in publishing. Mm-hmm. And I've been very, very fortunate to find my dozen or so people that I trust, I know, and I can ask or say something, and it'll. It's I don't have to worry about it again. And yeah. Lori's, oh. I, like I said, I can't speak highly enough of Lori's professionalism, and I mean, her, she's cheap too. She's great price. If anybody needs somebody for layout. Yeah, and she's got a, I mean, she's got a rep beneath her that's about 25 miles deep, you know. Yes, yeah, I'm not the only one that's worked with Lori. Yeah, she's, I mean, I'll email her at like 8 o'clock from my phone, and she'll have an updated file (laughs) at like 1 in the morning. I'm like, Lori, I went to bed like two minutes after I sent this. She didn't have to rush, but... (laughs) She's she's great too, but yeah, I, it's it's just so much fun putting these books together, and I'm really I really do enjoy it a lot. Um, and again, I think the process is fun. And the next one's going to be super super fun too because we got Laurel, of course, and uh-huh. a few other folks on that one. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm excited about that. Me too. I heard I finally saw Gemma's um, paragraph. Super good. Mm. You I, guys am, are gonna, I have no doubt. You guys are going to kick ass on that. I'm so excited. <laughs> this is the folk the folktales thing so the folktales thing we're gonna bail or not bail we're gonna redo that a little bit because what i want to do is um flash uh flash fiction fiction uh-huh, uh-huh. and then turn it into a monster book oh okay you know monster so monster folktales and right. have them flash fiction size and then have art and stats and rpg crap with it too oh, um, okay cool yeah, and then, but Laurel, and Laurel, make sure I don't forget anybody. So it's Laurel, Jess Landry, Gemma Amore, and S.H. Cooper, right? And are writing um, their own novellas for a, I guess it's kind of a mosaic novel um, mm-hmm. called Your Own Time. That's set in a prison in the oh. early 20th century. Um, and then they'll be for they'll be telling the four novellas, and then I'll be kind of doing a little bit of work in the middle to kind of uh, from the perspective of the warden. So just like a page here and there to just okay. kind of set the stage. Um, but that cool. one, oh gosh, the ladies have put together some amazing just little pitches so far, and they are all so good. Um, yeah, that's an that's an amazing quartet you just named yeah. right there. There's some hellacious, hellaciously good authors in that group. 
Um, not, and I, I would be horrified to ever try to say which one was a favorite in the group. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, choose, La- right? La- Laurel's here right now, so of course. <laughs> so it's Laurel. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Gemma's the furthest away. Right. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. But you're the safest from Gemma. You know what, though? Gemma's the scariest. <laughs> but yeah i i just it's one of the things that i really enjoy about this is like the and i think we talked about this a little bit um you know when you and sarah were on is just this like alternate you know alternative publishing style mm-hmm. you know because this is this is really you know the product that the end product that you have is just it's different you know, from anything else, because like from like what Rich says, like just from the texture of the pages, like it's it's very aesthetically appealing, um, you know, and the way that it's done, like the way that you're able to to choose your artists and put everything together. It's I mean, it's just it's a really cool uh, vehicle for it. It's just it's been cool watching, you know, these these different projects go up. So it's been it's been a learning experience and it's been fun. And thank you. I appreciate that. It's, I've just really, you know what, I've been learning so much from each project um, as well. And, you know, honestly. Never work like, with Taff again. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm done. <laughs> I'm going to you, man. Remember, yeah. fucking dick. You know, uh, you know, Matt, I tried to fucking warn you about that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I meant to send the email to John, somebody else. I don't know. Shane D. Shane D. Keen, my agent. <laughs> You're no, don't publish this fucker. He's an asshole. <laughs> oh, well, you know what? I think I, I think I'd be pretty effective as your agent, as long as all the job required is drinking copiously and um, sitting on my ass for the most part. <laughs> that's that's probably it. I don't know what more there is. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think, you know, uh, it was neat working with Matt because it was, a, you know, I've worked a lot with a lot of the, the indie presses that are around now, uh, you know, Crystal Lake and Cutting Block and that's, you know, particularly Gray Matter. But um, this is just a totally different thing. And Matt is has been great to work with. I mean, really collaborative. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a blast. And I think the. You know, so far the the uh, final product, the paperbacks that I've seen are fantastic. Yeah, thank you, John, and I agree the same. Absolutely been fun. I can't it's wait to see the hardcovers. I know. I need to probably get around to doing that at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I have them done. I, it's like so it, when people read the get to the Kickstarter, so everything's finished. Mm-hmm. Um, literally, all I have to do is put in the number of books to order and give them my credit card number. Right. Um, it doesn't get from, from the uh, RPG publishing side, that doesn't happen very often at all because a book takes so long and so much effort to do. And even Kickstarters in general, most Kickstarters like, you know, I keep looking at these. I'm like, Oh, that looks great. And then they're like, Oh, it's not going to be until 2022. <laughs> well, I, yeah. It doesn't look that great. I mean, yeah. That's not gonna work. Um, so, I am trying, and what we are doing, and this has worked great with John, is that we, again, the Kickstarter page is completely up. Um, you know, you can sign on to the preview page, which is like two sentences, but um, everything's done so that when the Kickstarter finishes, the funds will clear. And by the time the funds clear, 
the books will be on their way to John's house to sign. Um, and then I will come drive my house myself over there and pick them up. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's just been a really fun process. I would love to be able to do this more often. Um, and I think as we grow the audience, mm-hmm. you know, we'll get there. I, I do. I really do think there, you know, Sarah nice Kickstarter had over 300 backers, I think about 14 grand, which is for a small, I mean, for a business of me, you know, that's, that was really, really good. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think that John impressive. and I are going to get a similar number of backers at least, hopefully more, and we'll just kind of build it up from there. And, and yeah. Yeah, I love doing these little projects. It's nice to have that personal touch um, and learn from each person, you know, and I can, you know, I can text somebody or tweet somebody or ping somebody on a message or whatever. And we just kind of chat back and forth, which I really enjoy having those relationships too. Yeah. And actually what has worked out, you know, like Kismet is, is Matt is up in St. Louis, which is where I spent the first 52 years of my life. So, you know, and he's not that far away from me right now. So, um, at some point, yeah, I'm going to come back up to St. (laughs) Louis or he's going to come down here and that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are going to go grab Tony, right? (laughs) Oh, Tony, Tony, the elusive Tony. (laughs) We have to do a trip trip north to get Tony. That's like a triangle. Yeah, that's right. The the St. Louis uh, triangle. The Bermuda triangle. The Rivera triangle. (laughs) You fall into this triangle, you're suddenly drunk off your ass and don't know where you are. You're in a cornfield. You're in a cornfield, like, uh, shoot, what was that movie that, oh, uh, shoot, the Netflix movie in the cornfield? Why can't I remember that right now? Oh, oh, oh yeah. In the tall grass. In the tall grass. Yeah. Tall grass. Yeah. That's it. That's all um, Illinois. Actually, I think I can probably say, I think, I think that uh, in the spring of next year, Tony's putting out a one volume edition of the fearing nice awesome waiting for the ninjas to come and kill me through the windows here <laughs> yeah, i was like, gonna say because i remember you all having that, that conversation yeah he's so I, gonna I, be I was pissed sitting, <laughs> i was sitting there going okay in the audio edits i can lower that to a whisper <laughs> i think so i think he's going to do uh what we're calling the omnibus edition uh, in paperback and uh, digital. And then we're working out the details with a certain hardcover publisher to put out a limited edition signed oh. version of the hardcover omnibus edition. Oh, that would rock. Very cool. Yeah. So wait for, uh, look for more uh, news about that if Tony doesn't kill me. In the meantime, <laughs> <He> so, <might. laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm thinking his therapist is in hog heaven right now, as much as he's working on the fearing again. <laughs> Probably, <laughs> he gets to start editing. Uh, he's got my book that'll be out later this year called He Left. Um, he gets to start in earnest editing that pretty soon here, so I can hardly wait for the exasperated emails. You use too many ellipses. <laughs> you talk about food too much. Yeah, like fucking two thirty in the morning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I saw the cover of He Left uh, last week. 
Oh, nice. And it's pretty cool. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. That'll be so much different than the Fearing. Uh, you know, much more intimate novel, coming of age novel, nostalgic, set in the 70s, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited for that one quite quite a bit. Yeah, I, I remember when you uh, tweeted about that the other day. Like, I remember us talking about He Left, but I didn't know it was coming out so soon, which is awesome. Yeah, I finished that pretty quickly after The Fearing. Uh, and since it was such a shorter book, um, you know, it didn't take me that long to, to do it. So it's been sitting there for a while. Uh, you know, so I'm looking forward to it. I, you know, hopefully people will like it. It's a little, like I said, it's a little different for me. And oh, I'm sure people love it. Well, do you want to, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Laura. Well, I was actually just going to ask you about, you know, about that process, about kind of how you switch gears like that, how you, you know, determined to do that and, and that sort of thing. Nope. Not interested in talking about that. <laughs> Yeah, fuck that. Moving on. <laughs> Terrible question, Laurel, but uh, let me try to keep down. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I'm, uh, oh, my dog is having heat strokes here. Lay down, Cope. Um, I don't think I'm probably that much different from most authors that, you know, when they get involved in something that's big and long and takes years of their life. Uh, you know, I think they when they're done with it, they just want to, you know, you just want to do something completely different. Um, and that's kind of the way I felt at the fearing, you know, because that took like five, six years to, to finish on and off. That is my dog horking in the background. Um, that is a typical I was trying sitting here trying not to bust out laughing because it's, <laughs> it's a typical pug noise. Oh, and now I think she's peeing. anyway so uh yeah so when i got to the end of the fearing i just thought you know i i I felt energized in a way because it had been such a long time since i finished a work um but i knew that i wanted to do something much more intimate in scope and uh shorter in length and a little bit more personal i mean this is more like it's more like in the same vein as uh, one of the stories that I did with the end and all beginnings, which is what becomes God. You know, it's a little bit more, it's, it's actually set in that very neighborhood in that story. And actually nice. the, he left references the, uh, the uh, stuff that happens in that story. So, um, you know, it's it, it set in the seventies and that's where I grew up. Uh, so it's a little bit more nostalgic for me and probably a little bit more personal. In the 70s, man, you are really old. <laughs> <laughs> you know it. Um, yes, I do know it. <laughs> All too well, my friend. Yeah, that, that sounds pretty... Uh... That sounds pretty good. I've been looking forward to that one for a while. Um, But I wanted to kind of circle back to Blood and Brimstone. I thought it was... I really like that you decided to kind of do this standalone with Jacoby and Tamantha. Because like you said, when we are introduced to them in, you know, the original Fearing books, 
you kind of just see them as how they are, you know, amidst all this chaos. And I thought it was cool to see those characters and kind of how they got to that point, because I'll be honest, like, I still think Jacoby is a dick, but (laughs) I seeing kind of seeing him early on and kind of different things about him. Like I kind of almost seen him in the original fearings books as kind of, you know, just a dick and a little bit buffoonish. And even though he is totally evil, there's certain things that happen throughout the course of blood and brimstone where, you know, he's got a lot more going on. He's got a lot more intelligence than I gave him credit for in the original set of books. But it's a lizard kind of intelligence. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really. I mean. That, that's why I, I kept saying he was a dick. Because yeah. I didn't I want don't, it to seem like. <laughs> I don't. I think it, I took. I tried to take pains in writing this to not turn him into a, you know, a cartoon uh, cutout villain. I, I wanted. Mm-hmm. Evil isn't necessarily interesting to me, but amoral. That's pretty that's pretty interesting. Amoral I can work with. And I think that he is amoral in buckets full. I mean, he's very much an, he's very much an opportunist. Um, he he knows what he wants to achieve during all this, and he's got a pretty straight follow through with all of it. And he doesn't care what he's gotta do or who he's gotta go through to get there. Um because I think that's a little bit more realistic in, particularly in the story that I was trying to tell in, in the fearing. I think you've got all these kind of outlandish things happening, but I think the characters have to be grounded when you do that, or you risk just turning the whole thing into a comic book. Um, so I wanted to, I wanted him to come from a, a spot where he. Uh, you know, was not this kind of buffoonish. Well, he's kind of buffoonish, but I mean, not this kind of mustache twirling villain. Um, and somebody who is the kind of person that, I don't know, may be living next to you right now. You just don't know. Um, I think that's easier to relate to, you know, than evil. I don't know that you really, I don't think most people really, uh, have an opportunity to bump into, Somebody who is, you know, just out and out malign. Um, but somebody like Jacoby, I think you encounter probably multiple times a day. Um, and I wanted that to come through. I wanted it to be a, uh, I wanted it to be a, a real person who kind of slides into that role. And it it was important because, you know, when I was casting about for what I was going to write about, I wanted to. It needed to be a story that really wasn't told. Uh, in the in the main part of the fearing, and that was difficult because when we when Tony and I made the cuts for the books, there wasn't really any there wasn't like group of characters or series of events or chapters that we cut. It was all trimming here and there, um, so there was really nothing to go back into the book and pick up to 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 do this project with Matt. So it had to be a character that I felt was already in the book, but whose story wasn't told completely and really that that the only choice there was jacoby really so uh but hopefully i was able to tell the story in a way that doesn't you know 
paint him as this, you know, again, this kind of mustache twirling, you know, snidely whiplash villain who is, you know. Yeah, I I really love getting to know Jacoby a little bit better, a little bit more intimately. And it's kind of interesting, like you said, I mean, you probably know somebody like that. Um, maybe not necessarily to that extent, but who knows, maybe to that extent as well. Yeah. Even. Um, and I think probably the most interesting, one of the more, the, um, the scenes and the, I don't even, I don't know. I don't really want to give away, but I probably will. But some, one of the Spoiler! scenes we talked about, you know, <laughs> with, um, you know, you see one scene where you see him basically kind of be human early on, like maybe middle, like once, once things start getting really weird and they realize how weird they are, you see him be kind of human and like, be like, all right, we got to get the hell out of here. Um, and then the final thing that I really always think about is the cover is yeah. you, you almost yeah. empathize with him actually. And you can almost see that thought process, but yeah, that makes sense. I could probably do that, you know, in, in certain cases by somebody pushed um, and then somebody else realizing they pushed the wrong person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, I, I will say from having worked in insurance for eight years before my current profession, <laughs> good choice. Yes, you do run into those people multiple times a day. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it is like I never thought that there was anything that I would empathize with in Jacoby. But there were definitely a couple times when I was like, mm, yeah, I might see what happened there, too. I might well, I, I might drive him up and see what happened to him. I think that the the knife's edge that, that a character like that works on, at least for me when I was writing him, which is, you know, you've got this stuff going on. Nobody in the story especially in this little glimpse that we get with with uh in the novella with jacoby nobody knows what's going on nobody knows the the depth and the weirdness of what's going on and so you get a a a guy like jacoby stepping up and you know maybe he's doing a good thing you don't know i mean these people in the story how do they know maybe he is maybe a strong man at least right then and there, maybe that's what you need to kind of pull everything together and, and, uh, you know, save, uh, the rest of humanity. But, you know, I think certainly as the story goes further and further, you, you, you really do realize that no, he doesn't really have, he's not working with a full house here. And, um, I think then that, then if you go back and then read the fearing, uh, in the part where he shows up in the book, which is the end of book three and beginning of book four, you you can sort of appreciate, I think, a little bit more. It gives him a little bit more of a nuanced character. Um, and you know, the other thing, nice thing about I think this book, Blood and Brim, Blood and Brimstone, is you don't have to have read The Fearing to start. You can read this as your entree Absolutely. into the rest of it. It doesn't give anything right. away in the bigger book um, or you can wait and, you know, you can read books one, two, and three, and then slide in with book four. I, I slide in with this book and then, and then pick up with book four. So I liked, I liked putting out a book that didn't require you automatically to have read these other four books. Yeah. It's, I mean, it really could slide in anywhere in the process. Yeah, because um, the stuff that, that happens in this novella is really taking place at the same time as book one. Yeah, basically, uh, that's where I was thinking it basically yeah. starts in the same place and, you know, not in the same location, but in the same right. story location anyway, as far as the events 
Well, we're we're campaigning for somebody to read it one, two, blood and brimstone, three, four. There you go. Because <laughs> so, I really want I may have to get my dad to do it. I sent him a copy of it. Um, <laughs> well, I think the book, I dad. Somebody, I want to see somebody do that transition of Jacoby in chronological order. Mm, okay. Yeah. You know that I'm curious. You know I know how I did it, and I'm I'm curious, especially with like I said, there's a I really the the amount of extra depth that we got on him, um, I think could make some of those scenes, especially yeah. in four, yeah. a little bit more, a little more. <laughs> I'll just say a little more. Because mm-hmm. it's like those guys, those uh, people. You know, John was mentioning he's you know, kind of a strong man and maybe that's what they need. And, um, you know, yeah, he's a survivor, but they, what they don't need is the whole psychopath part. Right. Um, that start, yeah, you give a good, good vision of what the inside of his mind looks like in this one too. Yeah. And again, hopefully it's not, hopefully it's the kind of person you, you bumped into before so that, you know, you're like, yeah, I, I, I work with a guy that's kind of like this. And, mm-hmm. you know, what I wanted to what I wanted to put out there was the kind of a guy, kind of a person, kind of a character who who sort of thinks this way and is really just waiting for something like this to snap. Right. He's like my snot nosed boss I used to work for. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's, there's there's two really interesting things I feel like to get introduced here. I mean, there's multiple, but there's there I I really like getting a closer look at his relationship, the way it's built with Tam, mm-hmm. yeah. because the way that he treats her, I mean, now she's, you know, she's very intelligent in the way that she reads him. Right. You know, learning. She just calls him boss and she's, you know, she's surviving on her own, too. Exactly. So her interactions with him are about her survival. Mm-hmm. Um, but he again, as long as he's, you know, kind of getting his ego stroked, he's actually pretty considerate of her. Yeah, I think they both read each other very well um, in the early part of this novella that, that you know, she picks up on the fact of, of maybe not entirely how crazy he is, but how focused he is and how much of a believer in himself he is. And then when she sees all this prep stuff that he's done, you know, she thinks this is a guy that is going to probably get through whatever this is. And, you know, it, I'll just read him and figure out what he wants from me and I'll give him that. And that way we'll both survive whatever this is going on. But I think also he reads her in that he's somebody, she's somebody who um, understands enough about the way he thinks and, and what his goals are and is willing to do what he wants her to do, the things that he needs her to do to get those things done and doesn't blink an eye. I mean, there's a couple of things that happen in the book right in front of her. She doesn't blink an eye. It's just, you know, whereas you think most people would go, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you know, we don't know exactly <laughs> if this is a localized thing or if this is, you know, truly global and, and world ending, but what are you doing? I can't believe you did that. But she doesn't do that. No. She just follows through with she follows his lead. So I think in a way they're the perfect team up, you know, for a, a story like this. 
Um, is it like you said about them reading each other? Even in the very first encounter they have, they mm-hmm. both kind of get an instant read on each other. Right. You know? Yeah, I think that scene that you're referring to really was the, you know, this is where they both take the measure of the other one. Yeah. And, and I think after that scene, which is like in the first chapter, I think, um, they know exactly where they stand with the other person and who, for the most part, who that person is. But so. it's not a re- it's not a relationship that and and this honestly is the assumption that I sort of made when mm-hmm. I read the fearing it does it's not a relationship that appears to be built solely on fear or threat and that's why no. Tam's loyalty is is genuine it's it doesn't yeah. you know it's not it's not just waiting for someone to come free her right she he never really threatens her in any way no um yeah and and that was a I think that was a key thing in the development of both of those characters because I didn't want her to be the damsel in distress there. She she had to be, you know, if not necessarily an equal, a very, very intelligent and capable lieutenant. Um, yeah, they, in, yeah, they, in her way, more capable even than him. Right. right. Well, because she's yeah. got a much more, she's got a much uh, tighter grip on reality than Jacoby does. Yeah. Yeah, they have an interesting symbiosis with, again, like you said, kind of the way they fit together mm-hmm. um, to be able to kind of handle everything. And that was fun to write. I mean, uh, you know, you you could see a little bit of that in the original fearing, but you know, like we've already talked about, these two characters sort of spring on the reader more or less fully formed uh, by the time they show up in book three. So, you know, going back and be able to lay some of that groundwork. Not in a really heavy-handed way, but in a way that sort of, you know, if you go on to read three or four, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. Well, and and that also kind of brings up, and I don't I don't know if this is spoilers on. If if we say I don't know if this is a spoiler, maybe don't listen to this next thirty seconds. Right. <laughs> Well, I think it's, it's interesting because it's, you know, uh, Monday says he's just another fear. You understand that. You know, she mm-hmm. tells Mark that about Jacoby. And so it's interesting then to sort of backtrack and see his, you know, he's not a, a fully formed fear that, that sort of bursts into this world like, you know, the the vampires or anything right, right. else. So that's an interesting look at it, too. You know, he's you you have to ask like okay is that why he survived um you know is because he he fills this role as one of the fears I, that that just really struck me because i had remembered her saying that to mark yeah i that's a good question uh, yeah. and that's a good point too and i think that um i think that unlike like some of the things like the vampires or, or that kind of stuff that are just like you know really grounded as almost an archetype fear in the human unconscious. I think also that this, uh, an archetype like uh, Jacoby, the strong man um, probably does show up when things like this happen or when, you know, when there's sort of tumultuous change occurring um, that he's a person like him is a sort of inevitable a character that is going to wander onto the stage to see what they can do. So in a way, yeah, I mean, I think he is, sort of an inevitable 
byproduct of something like this. And as such, yeah, uh, kind of an archetypal fear. Um, so, yeah, I think it's kind of a dual thing. Yeah, and I think that's something that, spoiler spoiler alert, John. Spoiler alert! Yep. Uh, <laughs> so I think one of the things that, again, I haven't actually had a chance to tell this to John yet, um, for the RPG that I'm really excited about <clears throat> is writing out how, you know, we've already talked about the fearing itself, but also these archetypes, how these archetypes interact with the fearing and fears, mm-hmm. but also how they interact with characters in that world so you know yeah. in, a, in a in an rpg you've got to you've got to fight monsters or non-player characters or whatever um you know jacoby is one of those instances where you have you know this doomsday prepper that was kind of selected you know for lack of a better term by the fearing or by the the, the archetype yeah. and imbued you know an avatar type situation and i think that's going to be a really fun thing for me to do um, and then hopefully, hopefully we'll get signed off by the boss, and uh, he'll be okay with it too. Well, I mean, where we it, can see these things. Yeah, I think that'll be really, really neat. It's interesting because as you know, as Matt got me thinking about doing this novella, I then started to think about what would come. You know, I do this novella, and it's going to be about uh, Jacoby and Tam. If I actually went back to the fearing and tried to write a sequel what would I write? And so I, I've been thinking about that quite a bit. And the the framework that I've started to construct is that, yes, the archetypes, these archetypes are going to play a much bigger role in, you know, if I ever uh, actually sit down and, and write this sequel to The Fearing, that, you know, that, that, that'll be a, a little bit more fully explored. And these archetypes uh will be a, play a much more important role in it but i you know also going back into the fearing though i think you can probably point your fingers at several of the characters yep, definitely uh who are archetypes too mark is definitely an archetype um but there there are you know there are several of them adam and and monday uh but also jelnik you know mark and probably a couple of others synchronicity yeah. john synchronicity yep there's my, Great hell, there's my hellier um <laughs> yeah. there you go i was sitting here when uh when who was it rich brought up the vampires going oh holy shit i forgot the vampires yeah but, <laughs> but yeah i think that uh if i go Sorry. forward and i'm i'm taking notes and reading a lot of Jung and and thinking about it uh you know i've i've got kind of a framework uh that i would like to do and it would almost be like a it almost be like a trilogy of books almost like a dark fantasy mm-hmm. um you know the this ruined earth and very small number of people and these archetypes and this machine trying to creep back into life and, and get things stabilized and you know it appeals to a lot of uh aspects of, of why i wanted to sit down and write in the first place one of which is maps Maps. Oh, I love, I love maps. <laughs> Me too. Um, so yeah, that's a possibility. I think over the next couple of years is that I might actually uh, move in that direction. So it's a possibility. I might just bug the fuck out of you. Yeah. yeah. In that direction. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna well, form a committee. That's a that's one way of getting it done. That's for sure. <laughs> Work with just Alan. Bring Matt. it up every time you talk to me. What about that fearing sequel? <laughs> yeah. Oh, fuck. Okay, I'll write it. 
exactly. <laughs> well, I think it's it does really just lend itself to that because I get what you're saying, you know, about, you know, when you finish it, you felt like, OK, it's over. Yes. Uh, you know, the story is done. Um, and in particular for the length of time, you know, that you had to deal with it and all that sort of thing. I definitely see throwing it across the room and being like. <laughs> I'm so done with this now. Yeah, I'm going to go write this other thing. But it, it is it is a framework, as you say, that lends itself to that, to that sort of expansion, because, um, you know, I felt like you did a, a really marvelous job in in the original fearing of just making sure that it wasn't just a bunch of just a collection of just nothing but tales of fears, which right. honestly you yeah. could have done. And I, I would have read. Yes. I would have read the fuck out of it. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, <laughs> and that but was a. That was a big temptation. I mean, there's a temptation to do that as a as a horror writer. You want to fill it with all these, you know, really horrific scenes. But, it, you know, what I learned, I think what I learned before I came to the fearing is that, you know, that in and of itself does not make a good horror book. You've no. got to have the it's got to be grounded by characters. They've got to be uh, somebody that the reader can have an emotional attachment to. And if they're constantly if the reader's just constantly being bombarded with a roller coaster ride of blood and guts and scares and that kind of stuff, there's no time for the reader to bond with the characters. So they're never going to care about them the way you yeah, want you, them. To. You have to have a little bit of silence between notes. And right. There. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I think that that's a, that's a, another great point, Laurel, that uh, it, it certainly was a temptation to, to load it up more with that kind of stuff. But it's but it it still allows it, you know, I mean, there's there's still room for some, you know, for that bit, too, because like, again, like I, I was just I was really happy to come back to this mm-hmm. um, and, you know, sort of pick up with this story because it's not, you know, it's not just the expansion of Jacoby and Tam, but it's it's a little bit more feeling out that world, um, getting a little bit more sampling of that and just yeah. sort of the way it affected different areas and different, you know, the soldiers, uh, that sort of right. thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can really see again with the whole collective unconscious, the, the Carl Jung, um, setup that it just, it, it could be expanded on and it would just be totally new territory, but that tied in beautifully. So yeah. I, I'll add my voice to the chorus of yes. Please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's funny how this has been kind of serendipitous all along the way, because, you know, when I, okay, when I made the decision to, okay, I'm going to do this novella with, with Matt and it's going to be about. Tam and Jacoby, then, you know, since I had already kind of established in the book that they had come from, you know, the Northeast coast somewhere, um, I just started somewhere up there when, you know, I just kind of picked Baltimore, Matt, Matt and I kind of talked about it and it's like, okay, let's, let's start it out in Baltimore and see where we go. Um, but then where I, you know, when I started to, you know, cause I get out like Google maps to see where different places are and, you know, it's okay. Well, if he's going to be in Baltimore, if he's going to, you know, if they're going to flee to the north somewhere to get away from the uh, atomic bombs, then, you know, okay, well, then I just kind of pick this place out at random in Pennsylvania in the, you know, the south, what I guess would be the south western corner or mid south uh, portion of Pennsylvania. And I kind of just picked that out at random. Um, and that worked out really well to find a small town there with a school district. But then also when I needed them to flee that and find a like an army base or a government center, that Raven Rock, uh, that that place where they flee to is an actual place. And it's only like, 
you know, 15 miles from where I had them bug out of Baltimore for. So all these things kind of just kind of fell on my plate kind of serendipitously, which is kind of cool. I always thought it was kind of cool. I, I think it's kind of cool the way the word serendipitous keeps coming up. And, <laughs> you know, it's serendipitous. The synchronicity yeah, that is, is serendipitous. It's synchronicity. Yeah. <laughs> that's all right. Synergistic. Yeah. <laughs> it's, synergistic. it's synergistic synchronicity that's serendipitously. Oh, my God. It's like enjoyed. a TED talk. There's your new title, Matt. Just switch to that. That'll be easily pronounceable. Yes. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, the way these kind of things just kind of all fell into my lap. It's like, oh, well, I need a place, I uh, need a government place that's got a big military presence. Oh, well, there's this Raven Rock here about 50 minutes away. Super. Yeah, because it's attainable in a reasonable right. amount of story space. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, and, yeah. and it's kind of you keep kind of that you right at first you kind of because of that, you keep kind of that uh, microcosmic setting going for a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, um, which kind of builds on the builds on the impression that you would rightly have in a situation like that, that you were, um, sorry, my dogs are barking their asses <laughs> off. Um, yeah, that thought's completely gone. Oh, oh that it, go. so that it was so, you know, if you, after an apocalypse, I mean, it's like when you think about how everybody felt when the lockdown first started, mm-hmm. you know, and then you take these two and you move them to this bunker. Right. And it really is like, wow, you can really, really feel that, you know? <laughs> yeah. So that was all. <laughs> Well, I think that I think that's a good point. I don't think Shane that I'd really even connected that, um, you know, with it. But yeah, it's like it's you know, hearkening back to like the first beginnings of it when everyone was running around panicking, hoarding mm-hmm. everything at the grocery stores. It's like yeah. that, you know. I'm I'm afraid I don't think I would have been as as uh, as prepared or as action oriented as Tam and Jacoby. I don't think so. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would be, but I'd be running for the liquor store in the weed shop. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly totally different kind did. of bunker. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, I, Laurel and I both did that. I got yeah. alcohol and dog food, and then I just. <laughs> <laughs> Priorities. Exactly. The necessities of life. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, I. Uh, I would think that probably, if anything, that this, you know, going through this, uh, the writing of this novella and working with Matt, I mean, it probably has piqued my interest in, in looking at a, a sequel of some kind to the to the fearing. So it's probably out there at some point. Hi, Matt. Thank you. Hey, you're welcome. I, I want I'll take that five percent royalties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't 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 forget your agent fees. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. oh, now they all start coming out of the woodwork. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be uh, gonna be crazy though because I've got all uh, so many projects right now. God, tell me. And it's a it's a good problem to have. It really is, but. Um. Yeah, I've got the 
the secret thing that we'll talk about after August the 17th. And uh, he left, obviously, with Tony. And then uh, the bad book with uh, D, David Alexander Ward. Um, and that's got like a stellar TOC to it. And then uh, we're getting ready to sign the contracts with Paul at Thunderstorm for a hardcover follow-up to I Can Taste the Blood, which is called Midnight Land, uh, with me and Josh and Eric and Dan. And there, oh, yeah, and this cosmic horror thing, I'm trying to wrap <laughs> up uh, cosmic horror novella collection. So, yeah, I've got a lot of irons in the fire right now. Yeah, I get that. Uh, I can feel that too, where you're going, and uh, I think that's, no, that's not it. There's also. Oh my God, the many things I've committed myself to. <laughs> but, you know, it's a good problem to have. You know, and, and the neat thing is that I'm working with so much, you know, so many great, talented uh, people that it's really, it's really the, the, uh, the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning, really. Is that you know that great cast of characters of talented people that I'm able to to work with on projects? It's it's pretty cool. Mine are all antagonists. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not saying they like me. They're just working. Gotcha. As long as there's money involved. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah, so uh, the kickstart for this thing starts on the 15th, right, Matt? Yep, September 15th. We are going like 22 days because I'm difficult. (laughs) Uh, I think, uh, yeah. And yeah, so we're just, I mean, we're going to keep it very straightforward this time, unlike the last one, which was a little complicated. Um, So there will be ebooks, soft covers, hard covers. Um, Those will be signed by John. And then for our international backers, there will be print-on-demand options also um, where you get, actually, you get a code and it will let you print a soft cover and or a hard cover at cost um, at the printing facilities that are all over the world. And, you know, that company, I've used them for RPG books, and they're very, very good. Um, They're almost indistinguishable. Actually, if you don't know the differences, you can't tell the difference between them and the ones I print for... uh, with Mixum. Mm-hmm. Um, and the difference is, is I can actually, it's funny because I could actually get something shipped to like Belgium cheaper than like Ohio because <laughs> of the way that shipping is and everything else. So I really, really want to make it international friendly. I mean, we have so many folks over in Australia, especially that tons of great horror over there that, Alan, you know, they Alan Baxter, get, Alan Baxter. <laughs> there's Alan's um, that kind of get shafted on shipping. Um, and then, of course, everybody in the UK, too. And I mean, all of Europe, a lot of Europe speaks English anyway. Um, so, yeah, I remember even talking to a few people over in the UK where they were very happy to hear that there were international shipping friendly. So they didn't have to spend 40 bucks on shipping for yeah. a $20 book. Um, yeah. So, yeah, lots of options there. And we're again, we're going to keep it pretty straightforward so that we can deliver it nice and fast. And anybody who back. Uh, Devil City knows that everything got out on time. Everything looks the way it's supposed to look. Um, and I think everybody was really happy with that, too. Yes, I can attest to that. It's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, that book is gorgeous. It really, really turned out really, really nice. 
Yeah, I love that printer. They're great to work with, too. Now, uh, explain the second part of this, Matt, the RPG part of it. And when does that kick in and what are you yeah. going to be doing with that? Yeah, so my own projects, I've got to finish Horror in the Windy City writing. It was going to be a 60,000 word. I'm over that count already. Wow. Um, so that's probably going to go around 80 or so. Um, hmm. Maybe more. We'll see. I can probably put 100,000 for Chicago easily. <laughs> um, and then I'm writing a book with uh, Dreamland's book with Sandy Peterson. Um, Kitch Johnson is one of the writers. It's me, Kitch, and James Thompson. Kitch did... Um, Dreamland. Oh, what is the book? She did a she did a novella with Tor on the Dreamlands actually not mm-hmm. too long ago. That's great. And to answer your actual question, um, Whispers RPG is going to be the next one. And I want to do a similar process that we did with this. So I really want to have the book like sixty percent finished writing, maybe mm-hmm. more, before we do the Kickstarter. You know, and um, the RPG itself, the quick start rules are out, and most of those are actually ready for me to do some final tweaking as well. Um, I'd love to get that quick start, that RPG Kickstarter out um, around the holidays. It's really going to be kind of depend. Um, I'll be working on it all the time, but you know, my first goal, again, back to this Kickstarter, is I want these books to be in your hands by Halloween. Right. And so that's the most important thing for me. And then, so if you want to give them to folks for Christmas or whatever else, you don't have to worry about that. You'll have it. Um, so, yeah, so that the RPG will probably kickstart about three to four months after at the end of this year. And then awesome. that book will be delivered in next year. Yeah. And the thing is, is that you really, really do want these in your hands by October. Um I, I apologize to everybody who has to wait that long. <laughs> well, it's been interesting to me to, to, to watch, to read as these things are out in the wild, starting to get out in the wild and hearing some of the feedback and the reviews and stuff. It's, uh, it makes me uh, feel really good about, you know, jumping back into this because, you know, you could jump back into it and people are like, Ugh, what are you doing? It was so great. The first four books were so great, and now you've <laughs> ruined it. Don't fix what isn't broken. Right. Now. Yeah, exactly. I Believe me, I thought all about that while I was doing this. You know, is this going to color now people's views of the first four books? And so, you know, it was a little nerve-wracking until it came out, but I'm glad that people are reacting well to it. Yeah, um, pretty much. I Well, I can't say totally, but pretty much what I've seen universally Mm-hmm. People are reacting um, extremely positively to it. So far, so good. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think so, I sent out about 20 arcs, maybe 15, which I think, so that's the funny thing, I, you know, since here's my, another tangent for you guys is, you know, like, I, so I'm obviously a tiny publisher, micro publisher, whatever you want to call it, it's me. Um, and so when I print out arcs, I mean, that's, expensive um Mm -hmm. you know when your margin is you know when you're only selling 300 books giving away 30 um, (laughs) is a little challenging at times um but that is one thing i didn't do with a devil's uh the devil city that i wish i had you know everybody was so wonderful about um reviewing ebooks and i will forever Mm -hmm. be thankful for everybody who did um but i really wanted to try to get more physical arts this time and so i did my best to get them out to folks um 
and to get out, you know, like I said, to get out some so that you guys could actually see the book and feel it. And yeah. again, I know we have Devil City and you can see that and it's a very similar physically, you know, the way I put it together. But mm-hmm. again, there's nothing like seeing that actual book and getting, you know, like a little five second video on Instagram or Twitter or whatever that shows right. you those pictures. I agree. Especially with a book this pretty. Just yes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, just going to throw that out there. I think, Laurel, I think our book's going to be black and white, though. I'm feeling black and white for that one. Nice. Yeah. For so. the... Nothing says prison like black and white. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 20th century prison. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Prison in the 1930s. <laughs> uh, that fits perfectly well with my story, so I'm, I'm good with it. <laughs> I like that idea, actually, black and white for uh, for um, a prison one. Yep, I did want my asylum book I wrote. I did actually all of my arts in black and white except the cover. Awesome. It's really, it actually turned out really good. I really, well, yeah. I love black and white pictures, actually. Yeah, they can be very powerful. That, that kind of artwork can be very powerful. So you were um, saying uh, you're a micro publisher or some kind of publisher or whatever. And <laughs> um, I would. <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't. I would, well, I would qualify that as um, you're an awesome publisher. Oh, uh, thanks, Shane. You're doing some killer shit. More books shit. on the way. Promise. Can't wait. Yeah, I I love doing it, and I mean, you guys know how stressful the world is in general, and you guys all know how much stuff, like other things, I'm working on and dealing with. Um, but one of the things that I do again, I enjoy it, and as long as I enjoy it, we'll keep doing it. I would love to get out two books a year. So that would make me so happy. And John's book has actually been, I, I feel like we actually have been really smooth, the process. And I know yeah. John and I have had a lot going on the last month or two, so we haven't been publicizing as much as we could. Um, but all said and done, that book was, I, I couldn't have asked for a better process, actually. So yeah, I'd love I, to get two or three books a year. I would agree with that. And, you know, the nice thing about, you know, you know where I am with my careers. I don't have to work with anybody if I don't want to. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I've I've been in doing this for 30 years. If I don't feel like working with somebody, or I don't have to. So, uh, you know, I think it's been a it, it's been a great opportunity for me to have met Matt and to have gone down this road with him uh, with the fearing. Uh, I've been very pleased with it. I, I think, you know, I've met somebody in my hometown that I think I can consider a friend now and uh, would love to work with Matt again on other stuff and uh, would wholeheartedly recommend working with him. I mean, um, there's a lot of different ways you can go in this industry right now, uh, a lot of different publishers and stuff. Um, but I think finding the people that you can work well with and whom you trust to not only handle your work professionally, but also get it out professionally. Um, that's a handful of people as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, you know, that, that has probably been over and above the, how everything has gone and everything. That's been the most pleasing thing for me is to meet another person that I can work with and work well with. Well, thank you. I agree. Totally, totally reciprocate. Um, well, thank you. I think that's an interesting point, though, because, you know, I, you know, like Gemma does her own books and, Mm -hmm. you know, I think there's more people out there that are, you know, publishing their own books 
and then maybe grabbing a friend every once in a while to do a book of with them as well. You know, right. I didn't realize it, but I think CV Hunt, I think um, they publish their own <laughs> books. Um, I just read Halloween Fiend, which is so good, by the way. Mm -hmm. I finished that yesterday, I think. But, you know, I mean, there's a lot of folks out there, and I think that's a that's a huge hurdle for a smaller, you know, small business owners or whatever you want to call us, because we're not, you know, one of the big five or four or whatever right. they are. You know, we're not double day. It's like, you know, I can't just throw shit in a hardcover and sell a hundred thousand. Right. Um, I can throw like, you know, you know, we have fan. I mean, we, I think we have very, very good books and again, our runs are going to be zero. I mean, logarithmically less than everybody else's, <laughs> but we have such a tighter process and we can still, I think, everything we make and do, you know, like me and Gemma, and I think a lot of other folks too, you know, Tony doesn't and everybody else, um, quality wise, I think it's at least the same as others. And I saw this, I wish I could remember who said it. It might've been Gambino though. Actually, it probably was Gambino. This sounds like him where he said something where if you think that a small press is going to be less picky, think something, you know, you need to change that. Right. Model. Right. Yes. Exactly. They're going to yeah. be more picky yeah. because it's their money. Exactly. They can't mess up. You know, and you know, like with, when I pick Sarah and when John and then, you know, Laurel and Jess and Gemma and SH and it's like, I'm not picking random folks. I mean, I'm right. picking people. I'm not even, I don't even really ask for submissions. Very, I mean, I kind of did and pulled back, but again, I'm, we have to be incredibly picky because again, there's a lot on the line for us um, to try to, to try to make any kind of money or even break even in some cases. And it's, I think it's, I mean, I think you, it, this is a cool discussion to have because, you know, we're seeing it from both like writer and publisher perspective on it. Um, but, you know, it's that I thought I, I read that same article, I think that Gabino had put out and that's, it's very, very true. And it's, you know, like where John says, you know, I don't have to work with anybody I don't want to work with. Mm -hmm. There's, there's indie publishers and, and, you know, you have, obviously you're not going to have the same market. You're not going to have the same ability. Um, but, you have people who know how to work that market in a savvy fashion. Mm -hmm. You have people who know how to do the publicity on it and don't just throw a book, you know, out into the wild and say, good luck. I hope that right. goes well. You know, we, we've now lost your email and, and we don't care anymore. Right. You right. know, so it's, uh, there's just the, the symbiotic relationship and the ability to work with both authors and publishers who are going to really just do their all to get it out there. It's, I mean, it is, it's cool. It's cool to make those connections and it's cool to kind of just like get out there and see like, who are the people who are really giving it their all. Right. Yep. Well, and again, I like that folks are starting to see how good the books are from other people um, that aren't the big five. I mean, I know that I go to Kindle Unlimited probably because of the horror or actually definitely because of it. Cause all the mm -hmm. small publishers use it. And the books are amazing. You know, it's better than anything I'm getting at the library in most cases. Yeah, I mean, I, I really do believe for the last, you know, take your pick of years, that the indie press has really shouldered a hell of a lot of the burden of moving horror books. Yep. Um, yeah. You know, you've got you've got your, your big presses uh that are fewer than there were 10 15 20 years ago and you've got a couple of people who've been able to climb to the top of uh the mountain in terms of that you, you know your mailermans your tremblays your stephen graham jones um al Mikatsu and people like that but you know i think pete the 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 impetus from most of the 
really, really great horror these days is the indie press. You know, you've got your your gray matters and your cutting blocks and Crystal Lake and, you know, I could go on. Uh, But, you know, these are these are people that are shouldering most of the burden and bringing, I think, most of the more diverse voices uh, to the table. Uh, That is, I think, what is keeping horror, I think, at the forefront of of the uh, genre discussion these days is just the sheer volume of a wider variety of voices in the genre right now than there has been and damn good ones. Yes. Well, and that's the thing is that you get back to the, the publisher and their willingness to take a chance on a fucking idea instead of Mm -hmm. a template, you know? And so yeah, indie, indie horror is definitely what both drove horror to the, you know, the indie publishers drove it to the right. of indie fiction and, um, like you said, keep it there. But the fact that they're willing to put it there in the first place is remarkable compared to the big fives, you know, or yeah. whatever. It is because these people, for the most part, that are, you know, heading up these indie publishing companies, you know, they're writing checks to uh, buy uh, books to put books out to buy art out of the same checkbook that they're writing their grocery money out of. I mean, so like Matt had said, this is a much more personal uh, endeavor for most of these small press operations than you know would ever be at the big press level. That they're they really have to make decisions about where they're going to get their biggest bang for their buck. Um, so it you know it sounds kind of trite. For somebody like me, who's kind of risen through the ranks of the indie press, but yeah, if you're a reader out there and you're not reading a lot of independently published horror stuff, you're really doing yourself a disservice, I think. Yeah, big time. And that's, you know, the. I mean, I guess I, I always realized, you know, that it's very personal to them, but lately we've talked to uh, Matt, of course, um, and also Ken McKinley at Silver Shadow. Yeah, uh-huh. And you can tell when you listen to you guys talk that it's extremely personal, you know, um, that you, that it's not just a not just a business move. It's a passion that you have. Right. You know? And um, I think that feeds the quality, too. Yeah, really, because if anybody, Matt included, Tony included, if they were going into the publishing business to make money, you're a moron. <laughs> Right. (laughs) I mean, there are so many other ways to make money. There are so many other more effective ways to actually lose money than publishing. Um, You're doing this because you like you really love the genre and you love putting books out there and you love readers and you love dealing with authors as incredibly psychotic as they can be um <laughs> this, is, this is how little money there is in publishing I mean, more money writing than publishing sure no i, I don't do. i i, I really don't find do, that difficult actually. to believe at all yeah. i turned down work to do publishing and yeah it, it, my checkbook would be a little my 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 vacation money would definitely be a different <laughs> for the girls um uh, i feel that books. i call it living on a poet's salary <laughs> You know, it's a it's a passion, I think, for, it is. for most of them. And I think that, you know, that 
spills over into authors like me too. You know, I have not inked any multi-million dollar Josh Mailerman level uh, deals. Uh, you know, my my stuff is all you know slim, slim, slimmer budgets. Um, but I'm able to uh, I'm able to do this uh, primarily because of my lovely, lovely wife and her terribly important nine to five job <laughs> that <laughs> has allowed me to do this. But uh, yeah, I do it because not because I'm making huge amounts of money. I do it because I like doing it because really, I mean, I think this is probably similar to, to being on the publisher side, but you know, I think that you know, I, I, I figured out that I write because not to write would kill me. Yep. Know that. Uh, yeah, I feel that. So, yeah, I dealt with that. You know, I, I think I probably talked to you guys before about the, you know, the period in my life, the seven years where I didn't write because I just thought this is going nowhere and I'm spending all this time chasing my tail and I'm just not going to do it anymore. Seven worst years of my life. Yeah, it's, it, it's a mistake. You may not think so at the time that you make right. it, but you look back and... You wish you could have it back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wish I could have those seven years back. But, you know, I think that that uh, everybody needs to have some sort of a passion in their life. Yeah. Um, you know, whether that's writing or collecting stamps or whatever, watching foreign films. Um, this is the one that that catches my attention the most. So, uh, uh I'll probably slide in my grave doing this. You know, I think that's a good point. Like for me, I enjoy the art direction and the book mm -hmm. and all that stuff. You know, I even like messing around with layouts and making the book. book yeah. Page, you know, and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, again, that's, it, it's one of the few things that I do to relax. I don't, I don't have a whole lot of downtime. Um, mm -hmm. Partially because that's just the way I'm wired. Um, but it is something that I do enjoy enough that even when I'm working on it, it feels it feels good. It feels productive. There's yeah. really nothing quite as cool as actually having books out on your shelf that, you know, either you wrote or you published or you worked right. on or you helped with or something like that. And, you know, I, that's, that's, I finally did that at my house and put down a bunch of a shelf with the books. There you uh, go. Like I, right. You know, my RPG books and Sarah's and I's book and stuff. And of course, um, blood and brimstone. And it's just, it does feel nice that, you know, when you see those that dozen books or whatever that happens to be. Absolutely. And I, I got to think that, you know, you Laurel, I mean, you really, you know, I've moved past that, that phase of my life where I've had little kids and, the nine to five job and all that kind of stuff, but you've got the baby and, you know, home life and all that kind of stuff. And I've got to think that the writing is probably a nice uh, release for you, a nice use of your personal time. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's one that I protect very um, vehemently. I would much. think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cause you know, there's not much of it. Um, right. I just write during his snaps on the weekends and that's it for right now. But it's, but it is like, I mean, the couple times when I've been like, Oh my God, I'm tired. I'm just, I'm not going to write this time. Then I just wander around aimlessly. <laughs> and it's, you know, I think I'm giving myself a break, but I'm really not. Right. You know? So yeah, I, I, I feel that. 
yeah, stick with it. That's the mistake that I made was just thinking, uh, you know, look at all the look at all the personal time I, re- I will reclaim uh, not writing. And it didn't work out that way. It was just all. <laughs> so <laughs> I think well, of all the things I could have written in those seven years. <laughs> Oh, you're, well, writing them, you're writing them. You're writing them now at at high speed. That's what. Well, I, you know, I realistically, I do think that I'm a much different person than I am now, than I am now than I was then, and I think a much better writer. So there is that, but <laughs> but still. <laughs> oh, um, when Laurel says that she she writes during Tiny's naps, what she means is that she sits down and you know, cranks out a quick 20,000 words or something. <laughs> <laughs> not, not quite that fast. <laughs> fast, <Dang> though. <laughs> I'm just you know, glad he, he relinquished this copy of The Fearing in Time for me. <laughs> His He's copy been... of Harper's Tale is coming. It's on its awesome. way. I it yes, this morning. I can't remember how. I can, I can see <laughs> him being like, okay, but where's the teeth? I don't, right. there's no teammates. <laughs> I don't understand. I'll take that one, mommy. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's funny you say that my daughter, she, she flipped through it too. And she really enjoyed the pictures. She's still a little too for the story, but she loved the pictures. Well, <laughs> might want to wait a few years. <laughs> yeah. She does like spooky stuff though. So. I think that, you know, my, my experience with that, I mean, it's my mother that got me into all this. Um, I think you have that, you know, you're the parent that likes uh, this kind of stuff. I think you're, and if you end up having kids, I think you're going to at least have one kid that gets into it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my mother warped all of us. My <laughs> brother and my other three sisters, we're all just, you know, painfully warped about all this stuff. So... Uh, but it's nice. Uh, you know, none of my kids are really into it. My kids don't even read. So that's a whole other radio story. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's cool. I know that, uh, I know in talking to Doug Morano, I think his kids are kind of into this too. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. Harp likes to do yeah. the art and like to do art direction. Yep. And she'll do some creepy stuff <laughs> and she's okay with, um, my oldest, she's just, just like, whatever, dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't care less. She's yeah. 13 going on 17. Oh so, yeah. Oh, yeah. awesome. Well, she's um, right in that wheelhouse of just, just leave me alone. Yeah. yeah. Every once in a while she'll read something scary and I'll be like, that looks like an awesome book, but I can't. And then I'll ask her to read another. She's like, no. Like, you shouldn't have that, expressed interest in the first one. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the mistake you made. The slightest bit of interest in it. It's not, yeah. It's, you just, if, it's what are you reading that crap for? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to find new ways to embarrass her. Right. <laughs> Which I do. I find those all the time. So. <laughs> all my kids are grown, so all those opportunities are well past me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. But uh, I'm pushing toward time to turn back into a pumpkin here okay (laughs) and i'm guessing matt's gonna drop off and desert (laughs) us anytime we'll hear him snoring in the background (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) well thank you for having us on i i'm really excited about this project and uh uh like i said i'm really interested for this to be out in the in the wilderness and to see what the reactions are with people yeah and i'm 
Yeah, I'm really excited about all the projects you guys mentioned. So yeah, yeah. August seventeenth. Yep, that's the one I'm going to hear about. That's all I can say. August seventeenth. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Now, and August seventeenth will roll around and people go, "That's it, really." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is no big deal, Jeff. I mean, whatever. Wow, these You've been dudes. fake tweeting about that for months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I probably should watch laying it on quite so thick. So, well, no. I, and I've been sharing it all over the fucking internet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I'm life. reasonably sure it'll be pretty cool when it's out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, yeah thanks and, for having us on. Yeah, yeah and reiterate, so the, re- reiterate the dates on the Kickstarter again. Yeah, so September 15th, um, the Kickstarter is called The Fearing um, Blood and Brimstone, and it is a novella. It's 112 pages. We will be having ebooks, softcover, hardcover, and print on demand options for folks that need that. Um, it will be running for 22 days, um, so through I think October 8th or something like that. And uh, yeah, we're excited, really, really excited to get it out. And yes. For the backers, we'll have some stuff along the way. And if you're able to follow the Kickstarter, which it's linked on my Twitter, which is Matthew D. Corley, and I'm sure John will have it on his as well. Yep. Um, once we hit 100 followers on that, I'm going to start giving away stuff. And I do still actually have a handful of physical copies um, of the arts that I can maybe give away or something yeah. else. I mean, we've got some really good stuff to give away. Um, I'm going to give away a... At some point, uh, we're going to do a drawing and I'm going to give away a, a signed set of the, the first four of the books. So, oh, that's nice. cool. Yeah, there'd be some good prizes. Yeah. I was going to say, sounds like uh, it's well worth your time. So, yeah, definitely do follow it. Um, uh, that is everything I have. What about okay. Rich and Laurel? No, we're, I'm, I'm good. I just, um, I'm always excited to talk to you guys. I think you guys are doing really really cool things so Thank and you. and i i absolutely i'll be writing my review but i i fucking love this, this wow. novella, so <laughs> thank you absolutely that's the excellent. blurb i was looking for I fucking <laughs> <love this> <laughs> yeah, absolutely yeah it was great talking to you guys we always love having you on and we hope to have you guys on a bunch more in the future I'm sure everybody out there listening to this right now is rolling their eyes. <laughs> yeah, for fuck's sake. Uh, more? More Taff? Are you kidding? <laughs> Between these guys and Kiesling, it might as well be the not Shane, Laurel, and Rich's show. Well, let's just have fun on with us. <laughs> yes. Well, Laurel, and, and uh, I, best wishes for your book re- uh, party this weekend. And Thank you. I do look forward to reading it. Thank you, you very too. much. I appreciate that. Okay, guys. All right, guys. I love you. Take care. Love you too, man. Take uh, care. You guys. Y'all have a good night. Have you a good one. one. Bye. <laughs> Is somebody going to hang the fucking thing? <laughs> <laughs>